Hello and welcome to the Coon Hunting University podcast. This is your host, Tyler Duncan. And like always, class is in session. Hey y'all. So today I'm joined by Wild Willie. Mr. Willie is a published author of Wild Willie's Way, The Complete Guide to Canine Aggression. He specializes in training coon hounds. Today we're going to be covering his three-step system for laying the foundation for a coonhound puppy and also off-game breaking. This will be a multi-part series, but will not be posted consecutively. He will be joining us virtually, so let's go on ahead and get him on the line. Y'all sit back and enjoy. Hey, Mr. Willie, how are you doing? Good, good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good, buddy. Happy to have you on here. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. If you could, please tell the folk that are listening to this a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me on the show, Tyler. I appreciate it a lot. Everybody calls me Wild Willie. I've been coon hunting for quite a while, and I teach people all over the United States how to save shine aggressive dogs and take dogs to different levels. I'm from Northwest Ohio. Over 20 years ago, I got electrocuted. And for 20 years as a hobby, I saved shy and aggressive coon dogs because one saved me. Brussels, which was bad boy Brussels, Brussels Sprouts Roast, ended up being a dual grand champion. And he changed my life. I learned a lot of things teaching him. And then because of what he gave me, I thank him every extended day of my life. As a way to repay him, I have been teaching people all across the United States, Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii, how to save tree dogs from misplaced aggression issues. Issues like jacking the tree, chewing, tree aggression, off-game breaking, pretty much anything that coon dogs do wrong. I teach people how to break it right in their backyard. I do this as a thank you to Brussels and the coon hounds because I would not know what I know if it wasn't for coon hounds. They're one of the most intelligent animals on the face of this earth, and I prove it every day. So, man, one thing I got to ask is how you got the name Wild Willie. <laughs> well, Tyler, I'm pretty crazy when I get in the woods. When I'm in the woods, I'm loud and boisterous. I'm loud and boisterous for a point. I don't care if anybody hears me. I don't care if they're five miles away. I do it to connect with the dog. When? We use enthusiasm in our voice. The dogs literally smell it. Literally, this is the start of whispering, but you can use it at any time you need. If you're bonded to your dog, it knows if you're mad before you know it. It can literally smell it. So when you're extra excited in that praise, and we only praise the dog to its temperament, but that extra excitement that I force allows me to get results way quicker than other people. And then I use all wild predatory instincts to start my dogs. And that's one of the main reasons why they call me Wild Willie. I'm a little crazy and because I replace wild predatory instincts in every aspect of coon hunting. So from scent wiring, from replacing Mother Nature, where every canine predator, fox, wolves, coyotes, all of them, the mom brings the kill back to the den. The puppies smell this while they're feeding. This is scent wiring. I replace this with coon scent and a highly wanted treat. So the coon scents like the game and the 
lean meat tree that's highly wanted is like mommy's milk. So it makes these same connections. And I do that in every aspect of the sport. So I apply a whole bunch of wild. Yeah, we're about to learn how to apply that wild nature to the dogs, hopefully, Mr. Willie. So a puppy sitting here, what would you tell me are the most important basic obedience that I need to teach that puppy? Well, this is more important than hunting itself. Because if your dog doesn't work for you, it's working against you. Okay? So your dog needs to know some fundamentals. This is very important because it saves you time. You won't have near as many headaches later in life if you work with your dog. Number one is bonding. I like to bond with that dog. I like to spend time with that dog. I break a lot of the old adages and old cliches. I break a lot of rules. One of them is don't touch your puppy. Don't touch your coonhound puppy. Don't play with your coonhound puppy. That is wrong. I test this over and over and over. And I know for a fact experience is just as important as environment when it comes to hunting. So the more you do with your pup, the more you spend time with him, the more he gets experienced, the more confident he is when he first goes to the woods. When we create a true bond with a dog, that dog wants to please us. He wants to do things for us. And more importantly, he knows what yes means. He needs to know the difference between yes and no. He needs to know yes, which I use a highly wanted lean meat treat. I call it a pay treat. And that pay treat, every time I give it to him, I say, okay. Okay becomes my English word or his word for yes. So that way, anytime I say okay, whether it's killing game or whether it's getting on a tree, if I say okay, he knows he's allowed. Absolutely. No insecurities. The next thing that I would go to is discipline. He needs to learn no. You can't train anything to perfection or ask anything to perform at perfection for you if it doesn't understand yes and no. It has to have those basic concepts. So that's where we should start. First with yes and bonding, okay? Playtime. Every time you feed him a treat, okay, give him that permission. Now, that's most important. Discipline is the next step. We can't discipline anything over the bond we've created and retain respect for it. Okay, so this means if if we just whip our pup and whip our pup or scold our pup or scream and yell at our pup constantly, and that's the only relationship we have, he'll never have anyone to please. Dogs winning that world hunt want to please their owner. Coon hunting is long-range obedience. Every good dog has to stay till the owner gets there, and they know that. So it's a symbiont relationship between the two. With this relationship, the more aggressive or the more adrenaletic that line of dogs is, the earlier you want to start this relationship where he knows ultimate yes and ultimate no. That's how we get perfection. Right now, in teaching my young dog no, I like to use a training collar. I use a training collar for discipline, but I like to use a pinch chain. I like to use a pinch chain because it works with maternal instincts. It works just like a mommy's teeth when she nibs them on the neck. When a dam disciplines her pups, she gives them a pinch on the neck. We might be all scared because we think she bit them and it's got holes. No, they'll just be slobber. 
They just pinch their neck. That's what a pinch chain does. It disciplines exactly like a, a dam does. And then if we use this lean meat treat that we've already set up in bonding, we're simulating mother's milk. So everything I do, it's all maternal relationship. It gets results very fast. Now, one of the next things, once my dog understands yes and no, I like to teach him one of the most important things, and that's come here. Now, I do this in a instruction manual form, just in a step-by-step -step form that you can find in my book, Wild Willie's Way to Coonhound, Complete Coonhound Aggression Control. And in this book, it teaches coonhound or hunting dog obedience. So this way we get a whole different relationship with our dog, which means removing all the minus. Pre-training, okay, is just a game of come here with a pinch chain. One, it saves dogs' lives. They don't get lost. Two, it saves us from being late to work in the morning. Three, it saves us aggravation. How do you teach a dog come here? What are your tactics and techniques for doing that? So you get a long rope, put a snap on it, or I just say a check cord. Take a 20-foot check cord and a pinch chain, and you wait till your dog's playing. You say, come here, and you pinch or jerk the rope on the end of the word here, or whatever word you want it to be. So that way the dog connects the word come here with a physical action of his body moving. Then you reel him in. He stops in front of you. And when he does, you provide him that lean meat treat that you've already set up through pre-training. And you raise him up for it. Then you drift away. You let him pay attention. You do something else. And you wait a little while till he's not paying attention. The same thing. You call his name. Joe, come here. And you give the corrective pitch on here. Wind him in. Don't let him go past and provide the treat. You do this two or three times, and your dog won't walk away from you in the yard. So what we do is, is we do disconnect. It's that effective. You'll see a difference in your dog in less than 10 minutes. Absolutely less than 10 minutes. It's that quick. And this dog is learning stuff for life now. Okay? So we're going to perform disconnect after we do come here. Disconnect is, is you... Unsnap the rope and you let the dog run around and play. You just stay out there in the yard until he knows that he doesn't have to stay beside you the whole time. This sets up so your dog will lead and hunt deep. So he never gets confused about when he's supposed to be beside you and when he's not. So come here is very important to teach the dog to come. But it's also very important to teach the dog that he doesn't have to stay beside you. And you just do that by letting him play around or sprinkling some treats. Um, Michael Barnes figured this one out for me. You just take some of those paid treats and sprinkle them. Let him go get them. Tell him go find it. But you make sure you end without him having to come to you. Five, ten minutes, put him up. Now you got a dog that comes to you. Some dogs will come to you for the rest of their life off of just that forever done. Most dogs, it's going to take a little bit longer. And what I call ultimate come here. And that you'll find in a, a future writing that I'll write out there for everybody can get ultimate come here where you can blow a silent whistle or tone or just call your dog from five miles at any time, whether it's training or not.
you're taking what other people use the shot collar with a tone for, and you're replacing that with a pinch collar. Tyler, it's bigger than that, okay? Shot collars are not even training tools. They're long, long-range reinforcement tools of already learned behaviors. So what I am doing is I am pre-teaching the dog what it is I want before I'll ever use a shot collar on the dog. Now, we like to just put a shot collar on the dog and use it. But if we want to do things quick, we do it a different way, where literally we use a training collar. It can be a choker chain or a pinch chain, but a pinch chain works a hundred times better because it works with maternal instincts. But that pinch chain, we're literally going to teach the dog what it is we want with the rope. Because we're the person pulling the rope and applying the pinch when we say come here, he understands. Once he has that down, then and only then if we use a shock collar and shock him, does he understand that that means come here. Most dogs, when this happens and they just get shocked for the first time out in the field, they take off running. They get burned up. They take off running and they sit in the cornfield. Without tracking the devices, why we wouldn't even know if they're sitting there all night or just 10 minutes. Doing it traditional ways is a waste of time in a lot of aspects of the sports. And I absolutely live by traditional methods. But when it comes to dogs, if there's a faster, better way, then I break the rules. And there's one more most important thing about come here. If you want your dog to come to you, Never whip it 10 minutes after it hasn't came to you because the only thing it knows then is you whipped it when it got there. So if you discipline a dog for not coming, okay, if it's after the fact that he didn't come, five minutes, three minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, a half an hour, you're not training the dog to come. When you discipline it, you're just teaching that dog to stay away from you. This is why many dogs never come or they get jockeyed around because they're too hard to catch it gets back into that frustration point that's why come here is number three it's absolutely one of the most important things to get it saves us so much time and so much headaches it's unreal why do you use a lean meat treat i've heard you say that a couple of times is there a reason you use that yes yeah you know, that oh, type no. of thing as you know i got a house dog here when she goes to the bathroom outside, I give her one of them begging bits. You know, them yeah. But, you know, I mean, why do you use a lean meat treat versus just a regular old uh, milk bone? I use a lean meat treat to jack up the adrenaline. So every problem a dog has, all dogs, and we're not talking just coon dogs. This works for your pet dog inside. This works for the your coyote dog. It works for the coon dogs. It's just coon dogs is the epitome of the sport. That's why it was so hard for me to figure out. because. There is hardly no obedience for coon hunting because it's the hardest thing in the world to do, to get your dog to do something a mile away or farther without you being there and doing it every time, okay? This is the lean meat treat, and this is why it's so important. Every hunting dog is hunting off of feeding instincts for food. Dogs form social relationships by aggression over food. That means they talk. So they act aggressive or submissive over food to communicate who's the pack leader, who's the boss. I'm using that lean meat treat, and I make sure that I use a pay treat. A pay treat, or what I call a pay treat, is a 
treat that makes that individual dog's adrenaline go nuts. He has to have it. If you put it in your pocket, he's got to get it. Now, I use that treat because it's the key to every dog. That pay treat allows me to train all breeds, all age, all dogs, all of them, because all dogs are predators and their genetics are wired, hardwired to remember what pays their belly in lean meat. Now, there's all sorts of differences. Some dogs like sweet things. It doesn't matter what it is. It just matters that it greatly jacks up your dog's adrenaline and gets him in that adrenaline mode. Now, when he's in that adrenaline mode, okay, that extra adrenaline is the same mechanism in his mind when he slips trees or when he jacks the tree or when he's tree aggressive. It's all misplaced aggression, but it all dwells over too much adrenaline over food. The coon is absolutely the food in their mind and the tree is their food bowl if that makes sense then we understand we can use food in the yard and as long as it's something that jacks their adrenaline up we can train them anything and we can teach them to control their adrenaline so that lean meat tree is the most important thing of everything i do it's not just a hot dog this is one of the hardest things i teach is the pre-stuff because it is this easy. It's so easy, it's unbelievable. If you find a treat that your dog goes crazy for, and then you teach him he ain't even allowed to take it out of your hand, which is step two in my book, easy. That's food patience. That's the same thing as him slick treeing. If a dog just grabs it out of your hand, they're not thinking, they're just reacting to what they see or smell. When a dog literally has to use patience and not get it and wait. That's the same thing as checking the tree and making sure the coon's there in the dog's mind. So I can get these steps and mechanisms in a young dog, six months old. And that's the same mechanism that trees coon accurately in a five and six-year-old dog. So now we're talking about changing the whole game. Because if our dogs understand exactly what we want, and we can control their aggression through using food and discipline by raising their adrenaline up and then disciplining them, teaching them to do it themselves. Why, then we can get ultimate accuracy, like razor's edge. Squirrel dog will track and tree a squirrel. And then when the squirrel leaves, that squirrel dog will watch it. And it'll move to the correct tree too. Well. If you teach your dog step number two, food patience over that highly wanted treat, then you can go to Razor's Edge and train your coon hound to do the exact same thing a squirrel dog does. But instead of watching the squirrel go to the next tree with his eyes and going, he'll do it with his nose. He'll literally find the body of coon first before he ever locates. This is impossible to get out of a extremely young dog because they haven't had the experience with it. So it saves months and months of training in just the obedience steps that I do. So before we move forward, I'd like for you to go back over the three steps and talk a little bit more about drop and maybe go a little bit more in depth on that. I just do three obedience steps in the backyard, just three, three steps to get a different hunting dog, three steps to get a different pet dog. 
that gives me an invisible leash. This is the key. Pre-training is a game of come here. With a pinch chain and a lean meat treat that that dog loves. Okay. Step two is easy. This is food patience. This literally teaches the dog that he's not allowed to take the food out of my hand. One, it teaches my dog ultimate safety. He knows at the end of this that his teeth are not even allowed to touch my skin. That's what I need out of my hunting dog. So that way I can take my buddies and my kids. But more so, step two is pre-accuracy because it teaches the dog to control his adrenaline which is pre-breaking, pre-accuracy on all your pups. And then there's just one more step, and I do this right in my backyard, guys. I do drop. Drop finishes off this maternal relationship, and it gives me a, a invisible leash where I can tell my dog to stop doing whatever it is I want, and he stops now. Prevention is the best cure. So having this tool and ability allows me to stop my puppies from jacking the tree as soon as I get there with a the word. Now that they haven't gotten away with it, they don't do it. It never becomes a problem. They know they're not allowed because they understand. Drop gets that understanding because we're going to take that highly wanted pay treat that drives them crazy. The same one we used in pre-training. The same one, if not a better one, that drives it more crazy and easy. Now we're going to take it and we're going to mix it up with their food. And we're going to let them eat half to three quarters of it. So this way they're in a food possession mechanism. OK, dogs all know they can eat the first half of the bowl. They don't start getting food possessive or aggressive. OK, or they get more food possessive or more food aggression at the last third of it. And I observe these feeding triggers because with these feeding triggers, anything with dogs is possible. It is their language. Now, what we're going to do with that drop is we're going to let him down. We're going to let him eat it, but we're going to let him eat almost all of it. when. He gets to where there's just a third left. We're going to use dog body language. We're going to apply that same pinch, just like we did in the other ones. We're going to step over the bowl, just like dogs do, to say it's mine. We're going to stomp and we're going to apply a pinch. Now, we repeat this until he won't eat the food and he stops as soon as we say the word drop that loud. Now, we want to continue this till we say okay and he does eat it which you can find more detailed information in my book about this, but there's almost no way to use a pinch chain wrong because it has a safety stop. So as long as you're not wanting to be abusive, which we're not, you'll never use it too hard. It controls itself. It can't hurt the dog because the safety ring stops it from constricting any tighter. And it also is the best training device for any coon hound because it doesn't hurt their voice. Unlike a choker chain, which can damage, hurt, or kill a dog the first time it's used. When do we introduce that dog to hunt and how? Okay, Tyler, before we're going to introduce that dog to hunting, we're going to do the next most important thing. Number four is loading. One of the most important things we can do. But loading is way more important than most people would ever, ever dream. And now I study this, and I've studied it for years. And every dog that I teach to load my way starts at least three months earlier in life on treating his own coon by himself. It shaves off an amazing amount of time because our dogs are never 
distraught. They're never upset before they go to the woods at first. So teaching dogs to load shouldn't be done when you go right to the woods. You should teach your dogs to load before you go. So that way that dog is never unhappy. He's always happy to go to the woods. And then you're getting depth and tracking ability on the way in. Now, layman's terms, teach your dog to load so that way you're not banging its legs in the tailgate before you go to the woods. You see what I mean? Because when you bang that dog's tailgate in the woods and then you switch him, his mind's not on hunting. The key is to keep that dog's mind on hunting all the way to the woods, and then we'll make him leave. So to do that, we just teach him to load in the daytime before we ever go to the woods. Job's done. Once we have load, and we've shaved three months off of our hunting time because the dog understands what we're doing and he's good to it, I like to do a couple field trips just in the daytime. We've done laid the foundation for our dog. We've already got them introduced into hunting. What does it mean to you to burn a dog out? You know, you're talking about introducing to be hunting and you don't want to burn that dog out, right? Well, this is a very important question because we ruin a lot of our pups. Many, many people don't realize how many pups would be exceptional if we'd have done things differently at different times. Okay. So I believe in starting pups young. I like my pups to be training their own coon at nine, 10 months old, 11 months old, at least if possible. But I make sure not to burn them out. And burning a young pup out literally is caused by the adrenaline gland developing to flow too much. So if you have a nice young hot pup and he's burning it up and he's doing good, we have to see inactivity as training too. Okay, so this means we literally need to make sure we still lay that dog up so that way he isn't getting hunted every night of the week, maybe two or three nights a week or skip one. Either way, every dog's different. But if that dog's coming on stronger and harder, younger, you've got to give him breaks because as he's treeing, he's developing his hormones. He's developing that adrenaline gland. While he's growing, if he trees too many times consecutively, that gland produces more adrenaline. And then you get a slick tree and idiot. That's the mechanism of burning a pup up. So all we got to do is, is we can start them young, but we got to make sure we lay them up so that way they're not treeing constantly. Then we avoid that problem altogether. And we can start our dogs younger and not have any problems only more experience because experience is what begets perfection. Genetics are meant for environment. In other words, you can't have an exceptional coon dog unless he's in the woods, but that means he's got to learn lots of stuff in the woods. And that's what this does. This accelerates everything because there is no communication barriers in the dog. He's not treed too much to where if he just trees over and over and over, he's just getting wound up so much. When you get him out the fourth day, he's not thinking, caring about you. He's just looking to tree. As he's a year old, now that gland is wide open. As soon as he smells up, he's going to lock it down and slick tree over and over and over. So start him young, but give him breaks. That's great. And, you know, I think a lot of people have experienced that in their lives. 
you know, as far as hunting a young dog too much and people know it happens, right? You're telling us why it's happening, which is great. You know, people like me, they don't know why. They just know that, hey, if I hunt this dog every night, eventually he's going to start screwing up. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Something from healing when I got electrocuted allowed me to have a photographic memory on every dog I've ever trained my whole entire life. Tell me the difference in your off-game braking system and what is kind of mainstream for today. The trend today is discipline the dog at the tree for off-game braking. So they do something wrong, we discipline them. But hence, we still got to walk there, which means it's after the fact. It's already too late. Just like whipping a dog for not coming to you half an hour later, if the dog's already treed a possum for half an hour when we get there and discipline it's not going to sink into the dog's mind like we think it would, okay? They just know they're treeing and they're getting disciplined. They don't associate that this is off game until they're disciplined over and over and over. So there's a way better way. How we do this is, is set up yes and no. So pre-train an easy drop, right? And then we use the rhymes and rhythms of coon hunting. And that is, it does not matter how many times you discipline your dog for off game. You can do it over and over and over. The dog won't truly understand it until he gets under a coon after the off game and he gets praised or rewarded for it. So disciplining dogs, just disciplining dogs for off game is mediocre training at best. The more important part of the healing factor to get them to never do it again is getting them under the game you want and praising them for it before the end of that night. And if people think back and they start thinking about when they broke this dog and how they broke it, that's exactly what happens. In 97 out of 100 dogs, all of them don't truly break until they've got that game that they wanted before the end of the night so they can sleep on it. This is, in my book, goes to pushing attention spans, and it's a trick that I've used for 30 years to teach dogs to do stuff in minutes, um, literally, it's, I call it end of day finishing. Whatever it is, you want that dog to do better. Doesn't matter what it is, sit down or slick tree. You make sure you get him to do it wrong first. So you want that dog under slick first. Then you discipline him. You could, with my system, you can say, I can't get it. And they'll know. They'll literally duck their head. And I don't have to beat them, whip them or nothing. I just talk because my words carry that much weight because of those three steps. But either way, this is what matters. What matters is, is disciplining them for it and then getting them under a coon. Now, environment, right, is how we luck in. So if that dog's in good honey hole and he can get under a coon, we do it. And boom, he understands. But this doesn't happen. More times than not, we discipline that dog for slick treeing or off game. They are literally distraught, so they don't hunt as good. And then we come home. The last thing they knew before the end of the day was they got disciplined for doing something wrong. But there's no outlet. Dogs are like toddlers. They got to have both sides, yes and no. That's why my system starts with yes and no. But in off game or slick training or anything, they need to know what it is you want before the end of that night. Hence, catch you a coon. And make sure you have one at your house. So literally, to speed all off gaming, we'll do it right now. We'll speed it all. I want to save hundreds of thousands of hunting dogs. And now, guys, this doesn't just work on coon hounds or tree dogs. This works on every 
hunting dog out there alive today. All of them, every single one. And it works like perfection. My off game breaking is a systematic thing. It's like seven steps and you never have the problems. That's because all the rhymes and rhythms are in. So what I do is, is if I have a dog that I know I'm having off game problems with, right? I'm going to make sure to have me a cage coon at home. So that way I can go out, discipline him for slick tree. I can try to get him under a coon. But more importantly, if he doesn't, I'm going to bring him home and I'm going to let him track and tree one right behind my house and I'm going to praise him up for it. In doing that, that dog will break faster than any other way because now he knows what you want. See, dogs don't have as much mental memory as us. Now, coonhounds have more mental memory, but simply what this means is, is you got to get both sides in their physical muscle memory. In other words, they got to do it. So this means you have to discipline a dog for a tree and off game, right? Or scold, however you do. And then you have to get him under or the healing side of tree and the new coon. If you don't get him under, it's not there. It, it can't overwrite muscle memory that's not there. So in doing this, where you do it night after night after night, if we just discipline, 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 we're missing the key piece, which is the reward. They have to have that. And the sooner they have it, the better. So best case scenario, boom, he gets under slick, can't get it. Cut him on, he finds it, he gets appraised up and you knock it down to him if he can. But praise him in some way. Even if it's just a touch or if it's verbal, however you do, let him know that that's what you want. And if for some reason he doesn't get under one, bring him back and work him under one. It will get you the same result. Are you a proponent of using a cage cane for a dog? I know that that's a big, you know, a hot topic too. Yes, sir. Like I am a big supporter of all natural things. So I like natural coon scent. I like using local coon scent. And I do like using a cage coon because it is impossible to break some things or start some things without one. Now we have a huge rule, okay? in coon hunting that's good it has some merit but this rule is one of the most fixed ones in coon hunting and has been this rule is you never show a dog a cage coon once it can tree it never again okay that has merit but it's wrong absolutely it's wrong now it has merit because if we show a young dog a cage coon or a dog a cage coon too many times they might want to go shallow or just bark up a tree, okay? So we observe that rule and follow it. I never show a dog a cage coon, more than I need to, until it's treeing its own coon. Once it's treeing its own coon and it's a coon dog, you can break it back out and you can break the dog. You can do anything you want because coon hunting depth drive is already in his muscle memory. So it doesn't matter if you take, a young night champion dog and work him on a tree to break him from, let's say, Jack in the tree. He's still the same dog in the woods because he already was. So I observe that rule, but I break them. I break many rules because I take things beyond what has been traditional. So my guys need to be open-minded, but the proof's in the result. 
and everything I say I can do, I've done over a hundred times and got results every time, or I wouldn't never told anybody. And I've been telling people this stuff for over 20 years. So you were talking about you like to use the natural scent, but when you do your off game breaking, you use store-bought scent for that, right? No, sir. Not if possible. Okay. So just like honey, if you want medicinal honey, you want local raw honey. If I want real coon scent, I just trap me a coon. I put a rag under the cage and then pour a little warm water over him and let it drip on it. Half an hour, an hour later, I collect that rag and it's got fresh, raw coon scent from my local area on it right there. I'm meaning, do you have a way of collecting deer scent from maybe a taxidermist or something or possum scent or bobcat scent? Every game, okay, the best thing to use for that breaking is your local. So a local taxidermist for deer glands or we deer hunt. Or if you find a deer hunter, you just have them cut them off and save them. Stick them right in your freezer and they'll work the same. But if I'm going to use artificial scent, I like Comquest. Comquest and the wax paste are some exceptional scents. Which all scents do you focus on as far as if you're going to break this dog off of something? You know, do you really focus on like the area? Because I guess my area would differ from somebody in Wisconsin where they have, I don't know if dogs run badgers, but have badgers. We don't have badgers down here. Is that kind of a regional thing as far as what you're going to break that dog off of? Uh, It runs all around. The farther north you get, it's more fishers and porcupines. Uh, Here it's more possum because there ain't really hardly anything else they can tree. Down south, you start getting the stubborn ones, armadillos and stuff. But bear, bobcat, I've seen everything but a deer in a tree, even a groundhog. That's kind of what I was thinking, you know, as far as I didn't know, you know, do you direct people regionally or is there a certain thing that you break for? Because, I mean, I guess like Mississippi and Ohio, there's not, I don't know if there's any difference. Well, y'all have porcupine and we don't have porcupine around here, but so. What I do with off game breaking is way simpler. It's way easier than one would think. So a, a lot of the stuff, I don't have the headaches of other people. So literally in my book, it explains, I use a basketball, a pop can, and tree limbs. So before I even do anything, I'm going to hunt my young girl. I'm going to put him in deer. I'm going to put him in thick possums because I don't care if he runs them. I can break it. So now, literally, I'm going to find out what to direct that individual dog in any area. So it works the same for all, okay? Whatever that dog starts to try to chase first, whether it's hogs or possum, whatever it is, then we come back to the yard, and then I use that specific scent of the game that he treed first. You see what I mean? Whatever off game he ran first, then we're going to come back with that scent of that off game, and we're going to teach him in the backyard that he's not allowed to mess with the scent. He's not even allowed to mess with the scent, but you always want whatever it is they started first. So let's say you have an old dog that trees coon, but he also trees bear and possum, and you don't want it. If he trees bear harder than he trees possum, you start on bear and you use bear scent and then vice versa. But now, since this system works the same, it works just like that for every area because the dog's going to understand whatever it is. He's going to understand that it's, let's say it's possum scent. So let's say he's treed 10 coons, but 20 possums and he knows what a coon is. 
he's treeing hard, but he's starting to tree a little harder on possums, okay? Generally, that means the owner has whooped him for possums because alphas just tree harder. <laughs> but we'll get into that later. Now this young dog is treeing possums, and he's treeing them right. Oh, so when we get to the tree, our heart sinks. Oh, no. It doesn't have to anymore. I don't care. I'm happy. I don't pet the dog, but I know if he never does it, I can't teach him not to. And if I teach him not to my way, I'll never get a minus point from it. He's going to jump over that possum and go tree coon. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to bring him back to the yard. Now, I've already taught him pre-train easy and drop. So I already have a different understanding with this dog. And it took, oh, I don't know, four or five, 15-minute sessions to teach him that. It's really quick. It's way faster than you think. Now that we've got that relationship with him, now we go back to the yard and I'm going to put the off-game scent on a pop can. When he goes over and plays with it, I'm going to discipline him. I'm going to say, ah, ah, and I'm going to use the word possum. And I'm going to give him a corrective pinch of the pinch chain. Okay, ah, ah, possum. Give him a pinch, wind him in. When he gets to me, I'm going to feed him that same lean meat pay treat that he loves. So he knows he's not in trouble anymore. I've eliminated all the distraughtness in the time that gets you that. It's over. So now we remove that pop can. Now I'm going to put it on a basketball. And I'm going to put it in a different spot in the yard. I'm going to let the dog run around and run around and check it out. When he smells the basketball and he starts paying attention to that, I'm going to give him a corrective pinch. And I'm going to tell him the same word, possum. When he gets to me, I'm going to feed him a treat for leaving alone, the outlet, the reward for leaving alone, a reason to not pester. Now what we're going to do is, is I'm going to remove the basketball and let him play around in the same yard. But I'm going to put that possum scent right on tree limbs in a different spot in the yard. And then I'm going to see if I can walk him over it. Nine times out of ten, you can't walk your dog into the scent after two times in a coon house. They break that fast. Now, if that dog still wants to roll around or still is, likes that scent and he still wants it, we do the same thing. I, I, possum, give him a pinch and come back. We repeat that with different size, shape, and color objects. Only the scent remains the same. So the dog understands the whole time it was just the scent he's supposed to leave alone. Not the sticks, not the tree, not the pop can. He's just not allowed to mess with that scent. That is the most important thing because you can't break a dog from doing anything if it's already started. So once it's running a track, it's going to tree it and it's going to leave when you get there. That's how we traditionally do it because we're breaking it at the tree. This way, the dog never starts the off-game track in the first place. If he smells it in the woods, he goes the other way and he goes finds a coon just like he did in the yard. Now it gets better than that. Nothing I do is for one reason. Everything I do gets 30 things or it's wasting time. So now that our dog's broke from possum and will never tree one, if it is moonlit and a deer's in rut and a bus a deer, all I got to do is say possum. And then I can bump my shot collar and he knows. So all off game becomes the word possum. It can be any word you want, but if you use one word, you never have to re-break your dog for anything. It's already done in the system. Does that make sense, Tyler? Yeah, it does. So you're really only breaking him, technically breaking it from one thing and then using 
the one experience of being broke from that one off game to translate to all off game, right? You got it. So if so, when that dog's broke, if he busts a deer and you hit him, you can hit him on two. When you say possum, the dog's already done it. He's already been through it. He already knows. He's going to come back to you, right? So he comes all the way back to you, right? Because you just broke him from a possum. My system literally lets the dog understand what we know through the English language. It gives us different tools. So this way, if the dog's already been broke from treeing a possum, if he does run a deer, you can bump him and he fully understands that he ain't allowed to be running that too because you've used the same word and he's already fully broke from the other game. So one step gets the next and it gets it way quickly because the dog already understands and respects it. So you've broke the dog off of scent. How do you go about breaking it from chasing the animal, not necessarily on scent? So you scent break your dog first. Now you see one, you cut him on it. If he tries to chew it, you do the same thing, possum, and you hit your tone. You don't have to hit it up on a high level. You just bump him and he's done. He's going to leave it alone. He's going to go tree a coon because we've already done it. He already knows exactly what we want. Does that make sense? Yeah. And when you say, you know, hit him, you're not talking about burning that dog up. No. You know, reinforce that as well. Company. An e-collar isn't supposed to be used at high levels. The higher the level is, the more disruptive it is to the brain. Our brains work on electrical synapses. For us to move our pinky, a little spark is going off in our brain. Okay. So most people use shot collars to inflict pain as a correction. We turn it up when the dog's not minding because we want more of a correction. The way I train dogs and the way I'm doing this, they're learning it first, really quick, but then I don't have to turn my collar up hard. So two gets the same response as somebody else's 18. My voice gets more response than everybody else's, except for the people who use my system, they're words. So my words are more powerful on any one of my dogs than using the shot collar turned all the way up. And that's because of that three-step system. So I never need to shock my dogs hard. But if a person is, it actually backfeeds the brain. So if we turn the collar up way high just to get that dog to mind, it's actually going to interrupt. It's going to interrupt his thought. And like dropping a raindrop in a pond creates a ripple. That same thing happens with the electricity in the dog's mind. So the dog can't think for a while after. If you're correcting a dog with a shot collar or an e-collar extremely hard or at a high level, the dog can't think or perform right or even understand what you're doing for five to 10 minutes, something like that. Or maybe it's just three. But we discipline and then train immediately after. This this doesn't work in how our minds and dogs' minds function. It actually confuses them. So I never shock a dog hard. Rather, I teach him what it is I want first so I don't have to. Years ago, guys, every training system came with a DVD that explained this in high def. E-collar are not training tools. They are reinforcement tools of long-range, already learned behaviors. So. They've always known it, but it's just too easy to push the button because everything Eric Bouse does takes so long. 
So now we got it down into just three steps to where the dog understands, and it takes minutes compared to months. Every result we need to get. That was a great interview, and I do thank Mr. William for allowing me to conduct it. So if you like what you heard here, find us on Facebook, at Coon Hunting You. And also, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review. It really helps us out. And until next time, y'all have a wonderful day. Bye.